0: Welcome to the on the edge podcast with your host, Scott Groves.
1: Yeah, I have, I have a list of, uh, you know, things that have kind of grabbed me, gripped me the last, whatever number of years. And you, you, um, you know, we can start with the calendar. I think that that might be useful for people. I think that we have three limited resources in our life. We have time, we have money. And we have personal energy. And when we're younger, we have a lot of time and a little bit of money. <laughs> and and over time that shifts. Right. So, like right now, people could offer me a, a bunch of money to do things, but if they are in if they're in conflict from like the importance of living my life as a dad and with my kids and um, and you know, I'm, I'm going to say no to that. So, um, I just think it's important for, for anyone who wants to be productive and balanced to recognize that, um, you know, your calendar is an expression of your priorities. And so when people can, can you say that again, like, Can you say that again, yeah, cause that's
0: really important.
1: Yep. Your calendar is an expression of your priorities. And so when people tell me, like, well, I don't have time to work out. why well, I don't have time to do this. Or when people that, that work with me say, I ran out of time, right? I, I'm really quick to, to correct them and to say to them, nope, you chose to prioritize other things. And when you're able to say that, hey, I didn't get this project done. I chose to prioritize different things. It really shifts the responsibility. Because if you say, well, I ran out of time or I didn't have time, that's like this this that's just like this exogenous force that's acting on us in this mysterious way. No, it's not. Right? Like if you're really honest, all that you did was you chose to prioritize other things. And that might be you might have made really good decisions. Right? If you're you think to yourself, okay, I could do this or do this. Well, this is more urgent okay, maybe I was planning to work on this project, but instead I did this. So it's not that you didn't have the time, you just chose to prioritize other things. And then now we can have an honest conversation about, well, what choices did you make and were those good choices? So I think a calendar being an expression of your priorities, and I color code um, pretty intensely, as you, as you know, it's got my calendar, so I can see visually, Am I spending the amount of time with my family that I want to spend? Am I spending one on one time with my wife? That's wife time is a separate color. So if I don't, if I visually look at my calendar and I don't have enough dark green and I don't have enough dark orange, then I know that that's going to be out of balance. Um, so those are some things as it, as it relates to calendar. And, um, you know, you and I are, are recording this late. Right, we're, we're, We started at 8.30 um, central time, and that's because 5 to 8 p.m. for me is all technology is off, and my phone is in my office, and I'm with my family 5 to 8 p.m.
0: Amazing, man. Amazing. And I,
1: think going, I think going forward, the best gifts that we can give to our family members is just the, the gift of being present. And I think it's like, you know, the, the, the book, the one minute manager, I think this is like the one minute, five minute parent is like, are you really truly present? Or are you just distracted all the time and spending time, but really not fully engaged. Right. So, um, so I get a lot accomplished. One of the ways that I do that is by, you know, I, I work. And then at 5.00 PM, to 8 p.m. it's off and then I'll come back sometimes after the kids are in bed and I'll do a couple hours of emails or what have you and maybe an evening appointment Um, but that's you know with five kids it's really important that uh, that I'm available to help (laughs) you know help with different things um, as it relates to to the kids because there's a whole you know swarm of them with different needs
0: Yeah, So and uh, you know, let me ask you about that because I think, you know, I I coach a lot of loan officers and, you know, loan officers just have PTSD from 2008 where they're like, well, if I don't respond to the realtor right now, I'm going to lose the deal or the client's going to go somewhere else or whatnot. And and it's one of the things that I still have yet to master of like, no, there's this line in the sand, five o'clock to seven o'clock or whatever, or 5.30 to whatever is family time but, you know, there's always an excuse for something to tread on the calendar or or interrupt the calendar or be just a quick two-minute priority, which, of course, turns into a half-hour distraction. So how have you been able and were you able to do this when you were less successful or kind of coming up and building your practice? Were you able to have that line in the sand where it's like, hey – Whatever happens or doesn't happen to five to eight, I just have to be okay with that because that's family time or is this something that's evolved or do you have some rare characteristic trait where you're like, no, I, I'm actually one of the few people that can shut it off because I know a lot of people that say that's important, they put it on the calendar and then they still allow the distraction, myself included, I'm guilty of this, still allow the distraction to happen in the name of business or in the name of this. And then what ends up happening is once you've looked at your phone and you've answered the business text, now you start scrolling through Instagram and then whatever, and then your kids sitting there eating by themselves. So it's like this happens. Or maybe I'm the only horrible father in the in the world. Maybe it only happens to me. But what what has enabled no, you I, to I, draw that no, line of sand?
1: I don't think that you're alone. I think that you're these these days more normal than than not, right? Um so I, so I started my career in, in financial planning in 1999, and I uh, got married in 2000, and I was, I was really clear with my wife. I just said, Melinda, I'm going to work really, really hard for 10 years, and it's going to be six days a week and sometimes seven days a week, and I'm going to do that before we have kids so that when we have kids, then I won't have to work on the weekends, and you know, we'll, we'll have a really good life for ourselves. And so... Now, she was she was bought into that. And, um, you know, she her dad was a really, 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 really hard worker, Um, worked very long hours. So she she, it wasn't like something that was new to her Um, and she was accepting of it. And then that's what happened. So I I said, this is what I'm going to do. This is my plan. And then I did that plan. And then I was able to just kind of cut back and cut back. And I mean, I still work a good number of hours, but I, I don't work very much at all on the weekends. And so, um, yeah, so, I mean, I, when I was new in the business and I didn't have kids, what else was I going to do? Right. So, yeah, I mean, I I, I didn't have those boundaries, right? But, but I think to your point, like letting things encroach. So I, I have this just this philosophy of greater than. And so in that moment that you're answering that text message or you're leaving your phone on, what you're saying is, Either consciously or subconsciously, it's more important that I take this text than that I'm present for my kids. Or you're saying they won't mind. It's okay. It's just one, right? But these are these are what you're saying. These are what you're expressing. These are what you're. These are the values and the priorities that you're conveying. So I think that if you, if you look at it, if you, if you're able to just look at it on very, very candidly without any veneer, then you can just get really honest. And when you say no to something else, something you're saying yes to something else.
0: Repeat that one more time. Cause we had a little glitch in the matrix here.
1: When you, when you say no to something, you're saying yes to something else so boundaries are really just self-love and they help you when you set boundaries and limits they're helping you say yes to all the things that you want to keep in those boundaries that's
0: really great and
1: there's an author named dushka zapata that dan cassetta turned me on to and she's just absolutely brilliant and um yeah, one of her books is about boundaries and setting setting clear boundaries and how it's really uh, an acknowledgement that you um, that you appreciate yourself and that you um, you know aren't just going to be railroaded by other people or by ambition and um, that you can set aside time for yourself and for other people.
0: I I, I love that and I I want to go back to something you say without falling into some you know trope which is, you know, it's really easy for an older generation to criticize a younger generation. And it's really, you know, it's really kind of common parlance now to be like, ah, freaking millennials, or they don't work as hard or whatnot. But you did say something in there that I think is a little bit lost on newer generations where I I love the idea of like, hey, honey, we're going to grind for 10 years so that we have this amazing life by the time we decide to make these other life decisions. And not all, because there's some exceptional young people that are working 100 hours a week and building companies and doing stuff with tech that we just, we never thought was possible. Um, but I think more frequently than not, there is a younger generation in their teens or their 20s who they want to start on day one with more of the work-life balance. And they want to start with more, and again, I hate the word entitlement, but I don't even know what other other word to use of like, well, no boss, it's, it's five o'clock. It's like time to go home. It's like, yeah, but, but you're 25. Like, what are you going home to? Like we're, we're supposed to grind and put in another three or four hours and like get this shit done. Like that's kind of what I did. That's what my father did. You know, much like your wife's father, my dad was probably a workaholic, made as much time as he could for the kids, but just one of the hardest working human beings I've, I've ever met. Um, and I'm not saying that flippantly. So, you know are are we losing something either generational wise or work ethic wise or as americans or again i hate to go to the word entitlement but are we losing something where a vast majority of the population is maybe not willing to put in that upfront sacrifice cuz you know i i i, I had a uh, i had a wide receiver who played for the patriots come and speak at, at one of our coaching events and and he said the thing that's uncomfortable for me to say which is hey you coaching clients who are only doing two or three loans a month, you don't get to do what Scott did and go to Cancun for a week and then come host a coaching event for a week and then go do podcasts for a week. Cause he spent the first 13 years building the team and growing the systems and the pipeline and the residual clients and whatnot, he already put in the 80 or 90 hours a week. You guys just don't get to vacation five or six weeks out of the year and work a 40-hour work week. Like, if you're really saying that you're gonna be a pro and you're gonna be exceptional in the mortgage space or the real estate space or the financial planning space, you gotta put in that 10 years of fucking super hard grinding work. And I think, I could be wrong, I could just be making this up in my head and becoming an old man who's telling people to get off my grass. I think some of that is being lost in American society. Fair, unfair, am I making shit up in my head?
1: I think it depends on what population you're really looking at. Because like, yeah, I think if you're talking to a group of lenders who are independent, right? Business owners, essentially, it, in, in in more or less an eat what you kill model, right? right? then Then it's a lot different, I think, than somebody who's on a salary Working a generally a nine to five type of type of job. I think that those mentalities are very different, right? Right. And um, you know, our our business is all remote now. We don't have anybody coming into the office, so I, I don't know when people are working. And generally speaking, I don't really mind. When they're work, you know when they're working during the day I mind that they're getting their job done. So I think that that's going to become more and more of a trend is people working at different hours and I think that's something that we'll need as employers to to adapt to is that I think that this generation doesn't really see the boundaries in the same way that we see the boundaries. Um, and I think that it's you know one of the questions that I ask people, that work with me is how do you draw boundaries around your work? Like I just asked them that. How do you draw boundaries around your work schedule? And if they say to me, um, hey, I'm young, like I, I don't really draw a lot of boundaries. If you want me to, you know, work 70 hours a week, like I don't have a family, I'm gonna do that, then that's one answer. And if they say, Hey, you know, I'm gonna work really, really hard between eight and five, and then I'm not gonna work after that because I've got, you know, different hobbies and interests and, okay, you know, that's, are you getting the job done? I think that's more important. And and also, you know, one of my favorite quotes is by a French poet Anaïs Nin. She says, um, we don't see things the way they are. We see the things the way we are. And so I think that it's, it's easy for us as like really ambitious people who have kind of cracked into the top 1% or the 1% of the 1% to like finger wag at other people. But the reality is is not, not everybody aspires to, to do what we've done or to have the life that we have, um, especially if it takes a lot of work to get there. And that there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I mean, I, I know people who are very content and they don't have millions and millions of dollars. they just kind of, you know, poked along and saved a little bit of money here and a little bit of money there. And they're, they have a f- fairly standard lifestyle. They're not ostentatious and they're, they're pretty happy people. So I think it kind of just depends on if there's a disconnect, that's really where, where, where I would put the magnifying glass. If somebody says, i don't understand why i don't have you know why i'm not the top performer and i really really want to be the top performer but like the habits that they are following like don't match up with what it takes to be a top performer okay well then there's a conversation right but i think even the first conversation is like do you really want to be a top performer number one and number two like why do you want to be a top performer yeah and on number three, what do you think it's going to take for you to be a top performer? Yeah. Um, I also one of the things that I've really struggled with, and I, one of my coaches, her name's Amy K. Amy K. Hutchins. She's really brilliant. She's out of San Diego, and um, I was talking to her about this idea of the grind, and um, you know, kind of an issue that I was stumbling upon with myself that I was, I was kind of equating contentedness with laziness mm-hmm. in my mind, this idea that like when I was content that I might not have the same edge or drive or right. And, um, and, you know, she said something really fascinating to me. She said, you know, 99% of the people that are business owners that are driven, that are type a ambitious, they think exactly like you, right. Hard work equals money. Hard work equals success, right? Grind equals success. And, you know, the other 1%, they laugh at all of you, other 99%, because they've figured out how to work less and make just as much or more money, right? And, th- and, and that was fascinating to me. And it stemmed from a conversation where I was observing a business owner who had said, um, like, Hey, I just wasn't very driven and I didn't really love school. And so like when I got out of school, I just, I didn't really want to work hard either. And I was just like, what an asshole. Like that, like I, I just, yeah, I got angry at that, but here he is, you know, spending tons of time with his family, hugely successful,
0: crushing it and like
1: crushing it. And, 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 um, you know really what amy k said back to me when i was when i was talking about how how angry i was at, at this attitude she's like are you sure you're not just jealous and you know when, when you have a coach that says something to you and they like stop you right in their tracks right? yeah. <laughs> Your tracks like "Ah, oh, yeah yeah fuck, you're right yeah
0: yeah yeah i've been there i've been there many times with my coach where i'm like yeah yeah that was a good one that's kind of what i needed to hear
1: yeah so, so I think that you know what not shifts over time and priorities change and shift over time but I think just knowing what is it that you're after and um i I, th- I think that the word balance is really misused and and um I think that when people think about the word balance they literally see a scale i I see a scale and I see like the scale and, and it's balance means it's even. And I've felt in balance when I've worked 60, 70 hours in a week, I felt really balanced because like at that time in my life that felt great. So right. it doesn't like have to be this even thing all, all the time. Yeah. Um, I think it just needs to feel right. Um, at, at, the time you know are your values in sync with your work
0: you know it's interesting you say that because i have a i have a realtor who i love working with and selfishly i want him to be a top producer because he refers me his clients his clients are loyal he's a great human being to work with he's very calm during the transaction like he's not he's not trying to beat me up because the appraiser is you know slow to get out to the property or whatever, you know, the stuff that's out of our control. Like selfishly, I want him to be a top producer who does 50, 60, 70 deals a year and refers them all to me because um, I like working with him and I like having excuses to talk to him every couple of days and his clients are great and he's great. And, you know, he lost his partner very young in life. You know, widow maker, heart attack, dude was making mm-hmm. a sandwich and before he hit the ground, he was dead. And he's like, you know what? I'm I'm not living this fucking grind just to have a widowmaker heart attack one day. So he closes a couple deals. Then he goes on vacation for a month. And then he closes a couple deals and he spends a bunch of time with his new boyfriend. And then he closes a deal or two and then he's like, "Eh, I think I'm going to hit up every restaurant I've been meaning to try for the next 30 days." And I'm like, "I'm so angry and simultaneously jealous of his lifestyle and impressed that he's come to the realization of like, "Hey man, I've got a pretty humble lifestyle. I know what it costs for me to live my life. I know when I can turn it on and turn it off and close a deal. And I won't ignore people. I'll keep in touch with clients that are in the pipeline. But if I'm really gonna grind, I'm gonna grind to go make some money to go enjoy my life. And I'm like, ah, I hate you because you're reflecting back in the mirror the things that I'm not good at myself.
1: 100%.
0: All right, what else you got on your list there, boss?
1: When emotions are high, intelligence is low
0: oh don't we know it man
1: that's from john Burgoff, one of my favorites so
0: we've got a lot we got yeah. a lot of john Burgoff footage from back when we were coaching loan officers together i
1: keep this this uh yoda figure and i have several of these yoda figures around the house because uh, i try to channel my inner yoda when i get triggered and so i, you know, I try to just keep an even keel even inside when i'm like boiling up i try to externally not convey that that's hard to do yeah i've been working with another coach i work with lots of coaches um but juliana ray is uh one of my mentors who i've been coaching she's a she's a phenomenal wonderful human being and um a mindfulness coach so i originally hired her as to help me with mindfulness, and one of the tenets of mindfulness is equanimity, which is this: the, the idea of accepting all of your emotions and not judging them. Just okay. I, now I'm going through a period when I'm really angry, and she talks about just because I might feel this bubbling up in this, uh, you know, this volcano inside, right? Like feel that volcano inside, feel it erupting and just kind of let your body move through that pain and doesn't mean that you have to externally convey that doesn't mean that you should repress it you should acknowledge it right but can you acknowledge it can you experience that and then simultaneously convey an even keel on the exterior so that when emotions are high intelligence is low that's uh that's one that's that stuck with me that's a, that's a
0: doozy so i'm a i'm a huge juliana ray fan and i i think i might have brought this up on the podcast before that she gave me one of the most insightful management leadership training tips she's like you know in your life when you've been in that fight or flight mode and you're about to punch somebody or whatever i'm i i box a lot and i do jiu and for some reason i like getting punched in the face for fun Um, I actually pay people to do it, it's really weird. Uh, She's like, when you're ready to throw a punch, what is the feeling in your body? I'm like, what do you mean, what is the feeling in my body? I'm like, supposed to get in touch with my inner child? She's like, no, physically, what's the feeling? Does your chest tighten up? Does your butthole pucker? Do you grind your teeth? And I'm like, oh, when I'm really angry, like I'm ready to like fight the guy in front of me at the movie theater, because he can't stop rustling his rappers while I'm trying to watch the movie, my chest tightens up. She's like, all right, cool, anytime that happens, Go for a walk, get an iced tea. Don't say shit because nothing intelligent is about to come out of your mouth. So if you're having that sensation with your wife and your your chest, like your pectoral muscles start to tighten up, or you're having that experience with your employees, just say excuse me, and get the hell out of there because nothing that's going to come out of your mouth at that moment, you know, high emotion, low intelligence, is going to make sense, and you're going to do way more damage than good. And I was like, Oh man, that, that has stuck with me for about seven years since I first met her and uh, her and John Burgoff. So, um, I love that emotion is high. Intelligence is low. Give us another one. You're on a roll.
1: Yeah. the, The biggest breakthrough this year has been the phrase connect. Don't correct. Connect. Don't correct. And this has to do with parenting. And so I was, uh, I was going through a challenging phase with my, uh, with my son who's eight years old. And, um, he was playing chess, uh, virtually. And he would have the experience where he was playing chess and, uh, you know, somebody would take his queen, he would make a bad move and he would just, just like melt down
0: and like meltdown like ah shucks i lost my queen or like throw the phone and kick the trash can
1: um somewhere in between okay like like start crying hitting you know like kind of banging his head right i'm so stupid this game this game sucks i want to quit right like right away and um and i found myself kind of jumping in right and be like hey it's just it's just you know hey you don't need to melt down. It's just a game, right? Like, uh, hey, you know, like you got to have some resilience, right? Giving the life lesson, like, like hey, there's going to be a lot more worse things in life than losing your queen, dude, right? Because right? like, so I'm jumping in there to try to correct the behavior. What I found was two things. It made it a lot worse. Number one. And number two, what I, what I was able, to, the conclusion that I was able to come to was that I was uncomfortable with his expression of his emotions. He wasn't uncomfortable with it. It's just like the worst thing that you can say to, let's say your wife is, uh, hey, you're overreacting.
0: Right. Just calm down, honey. It's not a big deal. oh right?
1: Ooh. yeah right why and why is that well because they don't think that they're overreacting right like when in the moment when you react to something do you ever think to yourself in that moment i'm overreacting never never so like think about how it feels to get that karate chop of like hey whatever you're feeling right now which is a lot of emotion you shouldn't be feeling that right now
0: right right
1: and um and I, I even role played this with a couple of the guys at the front row Ads retreat. Cause I was like, Hey, this is gonna, this is gonna happen again. I know. And like uh, I was with Matt Drinkon, and he was, and we, we acted out like, Hey, what's going to happen the next time that Sammy's playing chess and so, and somebody takes his queen, like what's the new and improved Adam going to be like? And, you know, Matt was, was uh, acting like my son and, doing a really good job. And like, it just was dramatically different. The next time it happened, I was just ready. I had practiced.
0: So what what's the connect part? How are you connecting with him instead of just correcting his attitude?
1: Oh, just radical empathy.
0: Radical empathy, I like that.
1: Yeah, so it's like, oh man, like I know how you feel. I know that feels really horrible, right? You, you like, you wanted to do so well, you made this mistake hey, I'm here with you. And then just let him feel that emotion and like rather than me being uncomfortable with it because really that's what it is in the end. Yeah. It's me, my discomfort, my wanting to correct him because it's me uncomfortable. So It's so hard because
0: it's so hard when you have more knowledge than somebody because it's like, especially when it's somebody you care about, because you do want to just correct that thing and give them the knowledge to not experience the pain. It's like, of course you idiot, you should have played the London, you shouldn't have lost your queen. <laughs> it's like it's like no, not not what I'm supposed to tell my eight year old um, right. you you know what I've got in the bad habit of, and everybody can critique me as a father now. um, I've got in the bad habit of when those moments happen instead of connecting, and I don't know why I do this, I try to show my five year old super mature for a five-year-old. I got to give him more props. I try to show him how it could be worse. And that's, that's the wrong answer because the other, so my, my son realizes on some kind of, not in some nebulous way, he realizes that I used to be a soldier or I used to be in the army because we've talked about it and he's seen some pictures. And so he was complaining and, and getting a little teary-eyed about the fact that I had to go to this coaching event for three days that I was hosting on, on a weekend and I was going to be gone. And so of course, instead of just connecting, I had to correct them and I had to say, well, you know, buddy, um, you know, there's a lot of soldiers in America where they have to leave their family for six months or a year. And, and what a sacrifice those people make and how horrible would it be if I was a soldier and I had to leave for six months or a year. And as a five-year-old, he doesn't really understand past and present tense. So now when I have to go to dinner, for a client. He's like putting in his mind. Well, dad left one time. Dad used to be a soldier. Dad told me that sometimes soldiers have to leave their kids for six months. So last night, as I'm walking out the dinner for uh, walking out the door for dinner with ironically some front row dads who were up here in Vegas, he starts crying. He's like, are, are, are you gonna be gone for like three days or six months? How long is six months? How many cartoons is six months? And he's like having a breakdown because my dumbass decided to go to like try to correct him and try to teach him how it could always be worse and like give him the manly lesson. And I should have just connected and been like, I totally get it, buddy. I love you too. I miss you so much when I'm gone for three days. It's going to be okay. I'll be back. But nope, had to tell him the, so- the, sto- the story about soldiers in Afghanistan leaving their family for a year. And now he's like, now he- I just downloaded a bunch of crap on his pristine little hard drive. That's probably He's probably going to be in counseling when he's an adult because I screwed up part of his hard drive. <laughs> it's, our job,
1: it's our job to do whatever we can to make sure that our... Kids are on couches for at least a decade.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, I, you know, I, I've found that there is a time and place for that follow-up lesson. It's just not in that moment. right? Like, So what I found when I was able to connect with Sammy in that moment, like later the next day, I was able to come back and I was able to talk to him about it. And say like, hey, this is what I observed. Like, wh- how, how do you feel about that? And it was just he was in a totally different headspace, and you know I said to him like, hey, I, what I'd like to see you do as you as you learn how to play chess is I'd like to see you become a little bit more resilient. And you know, somebody takes your queen, just shrug it off, no big deal, because you're gonna play another game right after that. Mm-hmm. And like in remove from the situation. He was able to hear that lesson. And the next time that it came up, right. Cause he's not going to, whenever every match the next time that it came up, I said to him, Hey, how'd it go? And he said to me, yeah, like, uh, you know, somebody took my queen and my response was just a lot different. I was like, how do you feel about that? He's like, I, f- I felt, I felt good. I'm like, great. That's awesome.
0: Nice. All right, let's keep going. What so, else you got on your list? Yeah, there's so there's a
1: time and a place to come back to what you know. The lesson's an important lesson, it's just they can't hear that when they're right when they're filled with that emotion.
0: Yeah, I'm 43, I still can't hear shit when I'm the littlest bit of emotion. I, I haven't evolved since I was five, so
1: um, me, me I, neither. I, I feel we're, it. We're, we're that same five year old, okay? Uh, what's next? So, um, so this is this is a golden nugget that I picked up when uh. I hear a lot of people using the phrase, no problem. And so this would be something to pass on to all of your your mentees um, who you work with. When somebody pays you a compliment, "Hey, hey, Scott, thanks for doing that for me, right? Hey, thanks for helping me out with that loan. Hey, thanks, thanks. Like no problem needs to just, needs to be eliminated. 100% 100% from your vocabulary and the reason is
0: I like that no problem no problem or no big deal or yeah I got gotcha. you right. just 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 right. brushing it off what? all that needs what? to be eliminated what? from our vocabulary
1: yep because when somebody when you compliment somebody and they respond back with no problem they're really minimizing the the compliment like um, if you say to your wife hey I really appreciate that you cooked dinner tonight. And she says, oh, it's really not a big deal, right? Or, oh, no problem. Like, that's not really acknowledging the compliment that you're paying her. And so when somebody compliments me or my team, because I train them to say the same thing, there's, there's two responses. One is you're welcome, and the, the much better response, and my favorite one is my pleasure. And the reason that I, the reason that my pleasure is so powerful is because it's really, really difficult to say my pleasure without smiling. And when you smile, you transfer that energy and then the other person on the other side feels good too. And I promise you, when you go to a nice restaurant or a, a nice property like Four Seasons, Ritz Carlton, you'll never, ever, ever, ever hear any of the servers, wait staff, you'll never, ever hear them say no problem. They'll they'll always say my pleasure. Always. Hey, Chris here. Always, always, always. I I used to work in luxury hotels, and I was going to chime in and and say that we definitely had that conversation. Um, No problem was banned to speak, but the reason they explained it to us is by telling a guest no problem, you're implying that there was a problem in the first place. And, uh, and it's all replaced with my pleasure. And you feel like an ass saying it about the first 10 times and to this, I haven't been in hotels for about 10 years and I still say my pleasure all the time. So, uh, just to prove your point there. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. The
0: voice of God, AKA our audio engineer, Chris, just speaking up, speaking wisdom. He doesn't speak often, maybe once an episode, but it's always good stuff.
1: All right. Thanks Chris. So, uh, the next thing that I have on here is, um, a great question to ask somebody to find out a lot about them in a very short amount of time. And that is, what's your favorite movie and why?
0: My all time favorite question, because I'm a movie, I'm a movie nut. So yeah,
1: great. So what's your favorite movie or movies?
0: Uh, See this is, this is the problem. We could have a one hour conversation because are we talking about like favorite movie that's best movie favorite movie that I can watch over and over again on TNT when I'm flipping through the channels, the movie that always comes to mind is Last of the Mohicans.
1: Okay. what is, And what is it about that movie that there, makes it great for you?
0: There's so many great one-liners that encapsulates the spirit of the movie. Like when Daniel Day-Lewis yells at the girl, I will find you. It's like, oh, that's what the whole movie is about. It's about him finding this person that he loves. And then his, his younger Indian brother finds love and you know, they end up with a Romeo and Juliet movie or J- Romeo and Juliet moment at the end of the movie. So it's like there's there's a bunch of one liners from that movie. It's like. The more I think about it and the more times I've watched it, because I've probably watched it 50 or 100 times, there's no wasted dialogue in that entire movie, like everything in my mind is just excellent Um and and the the fight scenes are pretty cool, and the landscaping. I mean, just I remember the opening scene of that movie the first time I watched it, and I didn't see it until I was in my twenties. Uh, my best friend Matt Nims is like, "What? What? You're like you're you're a history buff, and you're a movie buff, and you've never seen Last of the Mohicans." So we watched it on like a Tuesday night, and the opening scene where he's chasing the deer through the forest, and it's this you know sprawling landscape of the Appalachian mountains you know, presumably in the late 1700s. It's just, it, everything about the movie is gorgeous to me. I love it. And I'm yeah. not a very aesthetic person. Like, I've taken all the personality tests. Like, aesthetics are, are not one of my high values, but something about that movie is so aesthetically pleasing and it's excellent and the dialogue isn't wasted. It's like my favorite movie, and then I would immediately, if we had more time, tell you about number two through ten, which are just a bunch of fun movies like Top Gun and Tommy Boy and stuff like that. But if we're talking about favorite yeah. movie, it's it's probably Last of the Mohicans.
1: Nice, nice. So um, that's a great conversation starter. Even if people don't really like movies, there's usually one or two movies that like. If you if you if you asked a couple other questions like, what of your values does that represent? What does that reflect? Why do you like it? Um, you'll, you'll, you you'll can find out a lot about somebody in a very short amount of time by asking them what their favorite movie or movies
0: so are. So let's reverse the tables here. What's your favorite movie, Adam Stock?
1: Yep, two favorite movies. Hoosiers. Of course. And Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory.
0: Wow. Number two, you could have given me 300 guesses. I wouldn't have got there.
1: Yep, so, so the Hoosiers, because I love basketball, is kind of obvious, but I'm also a really, really big pull for the underdog yeah type of mentality i have a very strong streak of uh you know justice and um, if you're familiar with the enneagram i'm an eight with a nine wing and the enneagram is a very strong streak of justice in, in that um in that enneagram type and uh so yeah hoosiers it does that for me and then i also have like a very very um creative dreamy visionary element um and so so many things about Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory are that for me and the same way that you've seen less the Mohicans and you know all the lines I I could the same thing um as well and my my uh, daughter and son and I did a staycation and uh this is the 50th anniversary year of Fiftieth yeah, anniversary year of um, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory this year, and they played it on the big screen in a movie theater, and it was so much fun because there were like eight people in the entire movie theater because of COVID. So just and, your family. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> and 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 there were a couple people in the in the front who like when the really big lines came out, they would like they would like yell the lines with you know get up and cheer for the lines, and it was just like uh you know we we there's no such thing as a snowsberry it's amazing we we are the music makers and we are the dreamers of dreams um uh, so so that's uh i got a few more you want to still you you want me to hit you with these or are we good on time or you want yeah, to no, I
0: i've got unlimited time man I, I every time we get a chance to talk i love it um real quick have you read gene wilder's autobiography have not. Oh, it's excellent. Chris, you're gonna have to look this up. What is Gene? I I think it's a really weird title, something I would never thought of. And it was Gene Wilder's autobiography. And it it opens a little dark, like he had a pretty rough childhood. And then, Mm. you know, his marriage to Gilda Radner, um, what is it called?
1: Mm -hmm. Kiss me like a stranger, my search for love and art.
0: There you go. Kiss me like a stranger. I, I don't know why I read it. I think I picked it up at like an airport, you know, gift shop. And it was the number one rated, you know, nonfiction. Um and and I didn't know a whole lot about him other than the fact that he was married to Gilda Radner, who my dad loved on Saturday Night Live. And I I mm-hmm. didn't even realize she had died a horrible death of cancer when they were when they were very young. And um the book is really moving. It's a it's a great book. And especially since you are a um, Willy Wonka wonk, um, you will uh, you will you will love his book.
1: Nice. Thank you. Real quickly, uh, Melinda's in here doing a couple of things and then she's going to leave, but um, you talked about um, how to, how to like retain employees. I would say um, the number one difference maker for us has been reading and implementing a book called Culture by Design. And um,
0: Chris, can you order that for me? uh, uh, A hardcover Culture by Design.
1: Culture by design, yeah. And basically, um, the, the idea is that that's um, David Friedman. The idea is that all culture is is behavior, and so if you can identify what your core values are, and you can write out what are what he refers to as the fundamentals of your business. And you can just let people know, hey, this is how we behave in this company. Uh, and that's what culture becomes. Book
0: one and two? That, is there two uh, books? I, is it by David Friedman? Know, yeah, David Friedman.
1: David Friedman, yeah. I S- start I with, start Friedman. with book one
0: and may, maybe that's enough.
1: Yeah, so like, th- these are our 30 fundamentals. And uh, Ritz Carlton has this fundamentals concept as well. So, you know, these are... Uh, one of the things that I was going to talk about next is display a how can I attitude, share knowledge, take feedback to heart, um, tell the truth, listen like a lawyer, communicate courageously, speak for yourself, be specific, write plainly, concisely, and with correct spelling and grammar. Do hard things. Respond within 24 hours. So it's just it's just a bunch of bunch of different pieces. And then we we acknowledge people when we acknowledge our team members. We acknowledge them through. The core values and through the fundamentals. So like such and such displayed fundamental number twenty. well Here's an example of how you know how Melissa displayed fundamental number fourteen. Do hard things, right? And then it just it just becomes just soaks in, and then it, and then you're able to also have that seep into performance reviews.
0: Yeah. Cause what's it's like, what's how on my bat- doing? What's on the back? I What's saw that? a I saw a color coded color coded spreadsheet on the back.
1: Oh, this is a, this is a list of my clients and who the associates are. Oh, nice. Who work with those clients so that I can um, I can know when I'm who I need to email about a certain thing for a certain client. At some point, you've bought the audiobook, but I still got the paper one.
0: Perfect. I bet you I bought the audio book because Adam probably gave me this recommendation two years ago, and I should have read the damn thing.
1: Yeah, I it's a it's great so um i would say that that's that's been a huge game changer
0: i don't think we're going to edit any of that out i think we'll just keep that all in
1: if you want to i can email you our fundamentals i would love that core values
0: i would love that all right what else you got on your uh your wisdom list
1: yeah so um two ideas in the category of thinking big So. Um, Another one of these quotes that sticks with me is by another front row dad, Earl Kelly. And I remember a long time ago at the strategic leadership conference that we were at in Cutco. He stated, um, if you're going to bother thinking at all, you might as well think big. that's, That's always stuck with me. It's like, why do we have small thinking? We're not gonna accomplish anything if we have small thinking. So if you're going to bother thinking at all, think big. And then how I then approach that is when I'm goal setting, I don't ask myself the question, can I accomplish this? I ask the question, how can I? So when you ask yourself the question, can I, it's binary, right? You get stuck immediately because you're making a determination of whether you can or can't. And if your mind says, I can't accomplish that, then you shut down. Where if you ask yourself the question, how can I, and fill in the blank, now your mind's in motion. Now the wheels are spinning to think creatively, right? Or like, what would have to happen for me to accomplish blah, 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 right? Now you're able to make a plan, even though it might feel far-fetched, like you're you're in motion. You have momentum to start thinking about that. So that that how can I versus can I or can't I is catching yourself um, and orienting around the how can I can be really powerful.
0: So I, I wanna I wanna pull at that thread a little bit because we've got a little bit of time. You're not you're not yawning too too hard yet.
1: No, I'm pretty jazzed.
0: Cool. I I um I love the how question. And sadly, I love it more from a manipulative standpoint, where if I ask my boss, hey, can I hire an administrative assistant? Again, it's binary. It's yes or no. They're like, nah, the production's not there. The profit's not there. I don't know if we have it in the budget. But if I say, hey, I want to increase my production, how can I hire a administrative assistant? Well, now I've absolved myself of the responsibility and I've put all the responsibility on my boss to think about like, how could we? What would we have to do? What would I have to kind of rejigger here? Like where would Scott's profitability? You know, what what kind of deal could I make with him? I don't want to, I don't want to lose them. Maybe I have to give them this person. Or if you just say can I instead of how could we or how can I, you know, it 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 transfers the responsibility to us to them. So I love that, by the way. And um, I, I'm gonna give a practical example. Um I've got a friend Jeff and I've fallen in love with jiu-jitsu the last 2 years. Um and he asked himself two questions when he got real into jiu-jitsu. He's a black belt now, he's an instructor, he owns his own gym. He said, "How can I be a black belt in under 10 years in jiu-jitsu, which is which is fairly hard, and how can I be an undefeated fighter?" Well, the the how can I become a black belt in under 10 years? It happened because he had full control over that, meaning He figured out I've got to live at the gym three hours a day for about five years and then I've got to seek out outside mentors and I've got to do this stuff. And he made it. He did it. I mean, which is uh, like, it's it's just amazing how quickly later in life he became a black belt. That my question is, and the thread I want to pull out a little bit, when he said, how could I be an undefeated fighter and become a champion? He's admitted to me and he would admit publicly, I think we've even had it on the podcast to talk about this, that once that ran into the reality of he lost a fight, because that part was out of his control, he just ran into somebody who was better than him. It kind of crushed his his bubble, or it crushed his his psyche a little bit. Because he like he asked the question, he thought big, and and once there was a major roadblock or a a failure of that goal, it 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 kind of ruined him in a certain way. Um, and he still continued to fight, and he was a good fighter, but he was about five hundred, never really made it into the UFC. But I'm wondering if we think that big, how do we stay the path? when stuff outside of our control gets in the way, or when, uh, you know, when reality hits aspiration?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that um, my, my general sense of the story that you told without knowing who it is, is that that undefeated part of it became his identity. And so once we let things become our identity, then we we actually lose control just in the in, in that moment that we cause it to become our identity we lose control and so i think having that goal and having that dream with the humility that there are things that are outside of our control right right that allows us to kind of keep that even keel That like, yeah, we have some big goals. Like I have some really big, we have some really big goals as a, as a team. And there are sometimes the markets are at our back and sometimes they're smacking us right in the face. And that's an element that drives a lot of our revenue and is a hundred percent out of our control.
0: Right, right. Because if you say, I'm just going to make up numbers. I have no idea what your actual overall business looks like. If you say, I want to have $100 million assets under management with our group, you're like, well, I, I might as well think big. Why not say, I want to have a billion dollars asset management under our group? But then if you don't get to a billion, how do you not feel bad about yourself for not accomplishing the goal? Or, you know, to your point with the conversation you had with your coach, keep striving and driving for that thing that, like, maybe wasn't obtainable maybe was outside of your control wasn't maybe I, I think we had heard this in a seminar we were at together where it's like man don't start climbing mountains for a view you don't want you don't want to obtain so so how do how do we think big and not get crushed along the way when reality gets in the way
1: yeah i mean i i i, I just think that that's what perspective is all about and my favorite word in the english language is perspective and i mean i don't I don't really have any other way to describe it, except like I've had that experience in my life where my identity was wrapped up in. In this case, my self-worth was equal to my net worth. That was the equation that I built. And in 2000, when the dot-com bubble burst, and basically I lost all my money and my wife's, my new wife's money, because we were just married at the time, like I was, my I, I was shattered totally shattered and so it took that event for me to gain the perspective that that's not who I was right that related to what I had not who I was and so I think that that's maybe part of the recipe or part of the ingredient is like understanding a deep level even if you lost all of those things and, and I, I'm really confident that even though I have a really nice house, a really nice car, a really nice bank account, really nice investment account. Like I'm really confident that even if I lost everything tomorrow, which would be devastating, like I know who I am and I'm not that. That's what I have. It's not who I am.
0: Yeah. How long I'm interested in this because, you know, we've been to places where, we've kind of heard this old adage that we uh, we grossly overestimate what we can do in a year but we underestimate what we can do in a decade how long after 2000 did it take for you to rebuild and maybe you you evolved and you know your 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 self-worth wasn't wrapped up in your net worth any, anymore so there was some evolution there but how long between your 1999 self everything crashes in 2000 was it before you were back to like, oh yeah, I'm doing really well again. I feel good about this. Um, did it take a year? Did it take five years? Did it take a decade?
1: Um, I think when you when you ask the question like, I feel really good about this. What's the this? The this is like
0: your lot in life, right? Like I, I'm I'm I, I'm trying to see without giving you the answer. I have a moment in time after 2008, after literally living on a buddy's couch just to try to not foreclose on my couch. I know the moment in time where I'm like, oh, shit, things are pretty good again. And how many years that took? And then how many years it took before I was like, wow, my life is so freaking good. Kind of the same thing you just said. Even if I lost it all again, which would be miserable and and disgusting, and it would be debilitating for a certain amount of time. It's like, all right, cool. I know how much time it's going to take me to get back on path and be kind of right back where I was. You know, financially, success wise, confidence wise. Like, how long did it take you to get? How long did it? How was? How long was your journey back? Is maybe what I'm trying to phrase here.
1: Um, I don't have a great sense from like the wealth perspective how long it took. It was probably a while. Um, I mean, I would guess that it was five years to reaccumulate the wealth that had been lost. But it might be seven. I mean, it wasn't fifteen, right? But it might have been five or seven years. It was. It was a lot. I mean, it was really significant. Yeah. Um, and I'm grateful by the way that my wife didn't leave me because <laughs> there have been a couple moments in our marriage where she really had a very reasonable right to just say F you I'm hot of here. Peace, yeah. And somehow she um she's decided each of those times that it was uh, I was more than just those situations. So that was that's uh that's been really um a godsend so you know it took months for me emotionally and psychologically to like piece myself back together but I mean I still needed to you know I was at Merrill Lynch and they weren't just going to be like "Oh, okay well you know we'll just let you not work like it's you're when you're at Merrill Lynch you're riding the bull right. and the uh, expectations and the stress level is like super, super high. And so, you know, I obviously took care of myself. Like I had to take care of myself, but then like, I also needed to kind of get back and in, into the groove and, um you know, work.
0: You know, between looking at people's finances all day long, which you do as well, now interviewing almost a hundred people for this show and a show I did before this, um, I feel almost exactly the same way you did and I've seen this over and over and over again with people rebuilding their credit, rebuilding their net worth, rebuilding from a brutal divorce or, you know, a car accident followed by a lawsuit. It seems about 5 years because I was going to say the same thing. You know, assuming everything crashes around end of 2007, gets really bad in 2008, 2009. I think I made $18,000 that year or something. It was just brutal. Um, it was about five years in between the end of 2013, beginning of 2014, where I'm like, oh, things are going pretty well. I'm making some, some money again. Like, like I've got some money in the bank. Like I've got, I've got a pipeline of referrals. Like the market is okay. Like life is good. I've, you know, I'm, I'm dating again and I've got some money to like go on vacation, you know? Um, and so it, it's funny. Cause I I've seen this over and over again, Where about that five year timeframe and five years when you're, depressed or broke or struggling to put food on the table or grow your net worth, five years feels like a really long time. But in the grand scheme of things, to think about a 2000 level financial crash for somebody that's heavily invested in tech tech stock or a 2008 crash, you know, the worst crash that we've ever seen for somebody who owns a bunch of property and is working in the mortgage market and all their net worth is tied up in mortgage. So all those things are correlated. Five years is not that long to rebuild even stronger. It's it's really not.
1: Yeah, today if that happened to me, it'd be a lot more than 5 years. <laughs> I and it's hard for me to even imagine how long it would be. Um but it would be it would be a lot it would be a long 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 time. I'm 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 certain of that and I, I think that like my I think I would have to just kind of I would have to like blaze a very very different path. Yeah. Um, and just totally retool everything if that happened. Um, I, I think
0: I would argue with your thesis. I don't think it would take you longer because I think you're wiser, you're you're more knowledgeable, you're more connected. You, you, you've got you've got the little hacks. You you know you've got the Nintendo cheat code up down up down left right A B C start up down. It's like you, you've got you're older, wiser. You got some cheat codes. I I I think I could. I think I could take away everything, and if you want to just wire me everything tomorrow so we can test this thesis, let me know. I think I could take away everything, and you could rebuild in five years. I really, I really do, because I think even though the the net worth is higher and the stakes are higher because you have more kids, you're you're smarter, you're wiser, you're more evolved, you've got more connections.
1: I think you could do it. I I, I appreciate your confidence. You know, I I now have twenty years of compound growth on right. my balance sheet. And so, like, that's really, really difficult to rebuild, even with a high income in a short amount of time. That's why, that's that's the primary reason that I'm skeptical. Not that I might not be able to build up income to a certain level within a relatively short amount of time, but I don't have that, I don't have 20 years of compounding of growth in five years anymore to make that up. Yeah. So... That's that's where my mind is kind of coming to that conclusion, but um, but yeah, I mean, if that happens, I'll I'll let you know so that you can build up my confidence and Dude, and uh, shorten that timeline. I'll be the. You know, one thing that comes up for me as we have this conversation is um, I was in Disney World with my family a long time ago, and I listened to a Walt Disney biographical movie, and they were interviewing him, and they asked him, you know, what's your secret to success? And he said, I had really horrible, catastrophic, early failures. And I was like, wow, like I had in my career a really early catastrophic failure. And I, a lot of success that I have had, I ascribe to that seminal event. So that, that's, uh, that's just been interesting for me to reflect upon.
0: I uh when we have more time over a beer, I'm gonna pull on that thread and we're gonna have a long political conversation about maybe our differences and political opinion. It's gonna be based on Walt Disney. So I'm gonna table that for a for a beer conversation sometime <laughs> at a seminar. Um That's fair. That's I,
1: fair. I've I, got three more I got three more things. All right, whip got, through them, man. Got, Let's go. Got time for three more things. Yeah, go for it. How's Chris? How's Chris doing? Is this still interesting for you, Chris? Actually,
0: Chris specifically said on the bathroom break, he's like, oh, this is one of the more enjoyable ones we've done where I'm actually engaged. So you've got Chris okay, one cool. over.
1: Nice. All right. All right. That will, that will, I'll sleep well knowing that I've at least had an engaging conversation with Chris. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, this is like going back to a less philosophical and more of like life hacks. But um, I talk a lot about the idea of booby trapping yourself for success. And so the idea of booby trapping yourself for success can take like really small pieces or it could take something larger. But like, if you ever find, for example, that you're forgetful and like you might go to a game and, uh, you know, leave your coat or you might go to your office and, you know, leave something there that you don't want to leave there, right? Um, one of the best hacks. To booby trap yourself for success so that you don't forget it is to put your car keys on it. So then, like if you walk out of your office and you get to your car and you don't have your car keys, then you can't go anywhere. So I end up throwing my car keys around a bunch on whatever I want to make sure that I remember and want to make sure that I don't forget.
0: Give me a give me a grander example for that. Like, all right, I want to yeah. I want to booby trap myself for not having frivolous spending and I want to I put a higher percentage of my paycheck towards various investments. What's a good way to like booby trap myself into financial success?
1: Well, I mean, you know the answer. What's, what's, what's an answer?
0: A- an answer is to pay yourself first. Make the money disappear before it hits your account.
1: Great, what's another answer?
0: Uh, another answer is uh, from one of my guilty pleasure musicians, Shell um, Crow. She's got a great line in one of her worst songs that um, it's not about having what you want. It's about wanting what you have. And I, I try to keep that at the front of my mind because I'm like, huh, do I really just want to have 10 more pairs of shoes or can I just really in, enjoy what I already have and want the things that I already have? So I'm, I'm, tr- I'm trying to curb my frivolous spending by constantly thinking of Cheryl Crow's th- throwaway line from one of her worst songs.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different ones, right? Like, there's tear up your credit cards. There's only spend cash. There's envelope system. You know, there, there's a lot of different ways. But I, I would I would also say, and I don't think that this relates to you, but it it, it relates to an interestingly largish number of younger people is that they have a negative, uh, and I had this as well. They have a negative um, association with wealth and particularly around the word rich. So like when I start working with somebody, I'll ask them a series of questions. And one of them is, you know, uh, they're they're sentence completions. So one of them is, um, this is how I feel about rich people and this is how I feel, right? And uh, what's interesting is on occasion, you know, I get like rich people are, you know, greedy, are you know ruining our country are blah 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 right yeah and it's really like crystal clear to me that if this is somebody who's an entrepreneur that that they're never gonna they're never gonna become wealthy because the identity that they have of who they're you know on a trajectory to become is that person that they despise so I was very fortunate that like, right when I was on a collision course to self-sabotage, I read this book called The Secrets of the Millionaire Mind by Harv Eker. And I remember this very, very vividly. It was like this, this I think it was page 82 of this book. And it said that, you know, you can be kind, generous, loving, and really freaking rich. And when I read that, I was like, uh, like cognitive dissonance cannot compute. Right. And then in that moment, I just realized like, well, I can, I can define. Whatever I want it to mean to be rich. Like by all statistics, right. I don't have Hampton, you know houses in the hamptons and but 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 like by all normal definitions i'm rich you're rich like 1% of income earners wealth earners wealth holders what have you um and so like some people get really hung up on that and then they self sabotage around their wealth building and so you find that people you know buy stuff and buy stuff and buy stuff and even the more money the more money the more money they make they just they just have lifestyle creep because they have negative feelings around um, what it it means to grow wealth and to be rich. And, you know, you can't, if you don't have any money invested in the stock market and you don't have any money invested in real estate, then you can't lose any money. And so, you know, one of the ways to make sure that you don't experience the pain of loss is to not have it. So, I mean, it sounds a little perverse, right? right? But literally when you talk I, when I talk through these conversations with people, these are the things that I find that they had very bad stories around money when they were younger, that, you know, maybe they saw money abused. Maybe they have certain, certain beliefs and values around wall street or um, I mean, even if our, in our society today, there's, a, there's a lot of negative press around, you know, tax the rich, X the rich, fuck the rich, whatever that is. And um, you know, I I you know I, I I I I take exception with that because you know the same people that are saying these things are the people who went to Carnegie Mellon University and Vanderbilt University and fill in the blank rich philanthropists who built the libraries and built the universities and you know, donates the millions and millions of dollars, right? Right. Not the people on welfare that are creating these extraordinary systems or eradicating polio. And I mean, it's, it's, it is seriously wealthy people who are making massive contribution to society. And, um, I just think somehow that gets lost in the, in the media because it's an easy target.
0: Yeah. It, it It has become a very easy target to vilify groups these days, the rich, the this, the that. Um, and I, I saw a meme the other day. I, I, I get some of my best stuff from memes. And it was like, hey man, whatever problems you have, it's highly unlikely it's because somebody else is a millionaire or a billionaire. And I was like, ooh, that, that really nails it. Like whatever personal problems I'm dealing with, it's highly unlikely, improbable, and probably impossible that it's because my neighbor is a millionaire. Um, so anyway, give us your last two and then we'll get out of here.
1: Yeah. So, um, in just finishing up with the booby trapping yourself for success. So, um, I booby trap myself for success by imagining that I don't have any short term memory. So when my, mind when, when somebody says to me, Hey, can you remember to do this? Or when I say, Hey, I'll remember to do that. Then I catch myself and I'm like, I'm not going to remember that. And so I have post-it notes next to my bed I've posted notes next to my sink. Sometimes I'll stop in that moment, I'll text myself the reminder, right? Or I'll email myself the reminder or if I'm on the phone with somebody, I'll say, hey, by the way, can you just send me a reminder? And, um, and that's a way that I just don't rely on my memory and I can think about other things and not try to have to keep those things in the forefront or, or the back of my mind. Um, several years ago, I knew that exercising was really important for me, and I knew that reading books was really important for me, but I I was pretty certain that if I left to my own devices, I wasn't going to do those things. And so we built a system at work where all of us each quarter read the same book, a business book, generally speaking, and we discuss it. And, um, that's one of the ways that we traps myself to make sure that I read at least four books a year. Love it. And, you know, it's four, it's 3.5 more than most people read in a year. So, it's, um, right. You know, <laughs> so it, I wish that I was a voracious reader. Um, and I, you know, I listen to podcasts and I, I do read, um, but, uh, that's one of the things that's we trap myself for success and then. We also have a wellness program at work where um, every Monday on a Google spreadsheet, everybody on our team records the number of workouts that they did the week before. And if they work out four times in a week, they get a bonus point. And if they average four points over the course of a quarter, then they get wellness reward. So it's money that they can use for, you know, four weights. For personal training, for um, a Vitamix lender, for something that's health oriented. And so like while, our, while a lot of our team really loves that, and while it expresses our value that we value health and wellness, it also holds me accountable because I need to put my number up on that spreadsheet every week. And as one of the leaders of the company, the hell if I'm going to have a zero or a one or a two,
0: Right, right. right. Like
1: I've got I've got a lead. So that's a way that's, you know, up, up front and uh, very open and visible for everyone to see. And uh, it's helps me stay on course. Love it. So those are those are some examples of the of the baby trap yourself for success. Um, the, the last thing that I that I wrote down was. Um, uh I interviewed one of my clients several years ago, a very successful business owner. And he said to me, you know, the real problems, Adam, are never the business problems. And I just thought, like, how insightful is that? Yeah. You know, um, I've had, you know, one of my kids born with a cleft lip and palate one of my kids at a year old had cancer. One of my kids has a severe, not allergy. Um, you know, like one of my kids has a pretty significant speech delay. One of my kids, right? Like
0: right. No, it goes on and on.
1: And so, yeah, it goes. It goes interestingly. It goes on and on. Um, and so you just realize that, like, these are the things that money can't really help with, obviously you can get better health care and that's not insignificant, but like, yeah, we're just, we're so much bigger than our business. A good good friend of mine, uh, Emmett Scott said that to me one time. He said, you are so much bigger than your business. And that was a, a reminder to me. And I have it on a post-it note and it's been here for 10 years. Um, You know, when I think that things are rough and and things are not going well in business or I'm having a rough day or a rough week or rough month or whatever, like I'm so much bigger than that. And I have another note here that I keep, which says what matters, what matters more and what matters most. And that's another reminder for me, a frame to say like, hey, it, it, it might matter that the business this month is not going well. It might matter that we had a 25 or 30% decline in the market in a really short period of time. It might matter, but like what matters more than that? And what matters most? And so, um, you know, the, the the final thing that I would say in this, in this vein, and you touched on it a little bit earlier is, um, Even though I think that we've made great strides in our society around mental health, I still think that it's a little bit in the shadows. And I I would really love to see the day when people are talking more openly than they are today about mental health, depression, bipolar disorder, anxiety, because you can tell when somebody has a physical disability, when somebody's in a wheelchair or whether they, when they have multiple sclerosis, but like having anxiety or depression or bipolar disorder, like these are diseases. And um, I think that we need to have a deeper understanding, a deeper level of empathy and have more open conversations because it's rampant and it's, it's, You know, they they surveyed the CEOs of Fortune 500 companies and a lot, a lot of high level executives and entrepreneurs um, deal with mental health issues. Yeah. Um, I've been a member of Vistage, which is a CEO's organization uh, since 2008. And I remember really vividly a guy named Cameron Harold, a brilliant business owner, uh, wrote a book called Double Double. And it was one of the founders of one 800 Get Junk or Buy Junk, really bright, young, uh, very successful entrepreneur Cameron Harrell. And he had everybody stand up in the audience and he said, you know, if if XYZ is something that you, you know, exhibit, and it was like, Do you do you um, you know, when you close a deal, do you feel exhilaration? Like, do you this, that, another? And he you know if you don't feel that way then sit down and like and then you know he went through all these things and then you know a pretty good amount of people were were say, anyway, like, oh well i just gave the dsm diagnosis for bipolar disorder or something like that right it was like oh wow like yeah um it's really significant and um i mean we've come a long way as a society but we're still um, not doing a great job, and I would say, in our young people, in our teens right now, I, I do believe that there is a mental health crisis in our country right now. Um, it's nearly impossible to get a therapist for for a kid because they're they're totally full, and COVID. I, I really don't think that we have any magnitude of the depth and breadth and the havoc that COVID and our response to it has really wreaked on our teenagers in particular. And so um, you know, that would be my my parting wish uh, for our for us and for our country is to get some more courage to bring some of those uh conversations that are still lurking in the shadows more into the forefront and have candid conversations.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I, I really appreciate that, and I, I'll share with you sometime offline when we're not being recorded uh, some conversations I had with my 19-year-old son about some of his friends and, and things like that. We'll, we'll put a pin on that for another conversation. Um, we covered a ton, and I appreciate you making yourself available for this time because I know, I know how valuable your time is and time with your family and your wife and work and whatnot. I always do like to ask the last question. Um, it's one of my favorite questions I stole from John Vroman. So what's what's the question I forgot to ask? What's what's the thing you're like, "Man, I thought Scott was going to ask this," or these are one of my favorite questions or I just wish people would care a little bit more and ask Adam about this.
1: Mm. And it stumps every single guest. Um I think the, the thing that's coming up for me right now, the question to ask would be like other than the connect don't correct like what's another breakthrough that you've had this year, for example. Um, <clears throat> I was at a Front Row Dads retreat in April and Jeff Woods was leading this exercise <clears throat> on on values core values. And Jeff leads the one thing consulting organization. They have a box of cards, which is a values deck, which is really powerful. And um, and so you have to basically go through 130 or so cards and try to whittle down from that massive amount to your three core values, top three core values, and then you have to rank order them. And so it was really, it was really interesting, even though this didn't make the, the top three, what I found that I had kind of forgotten is um, a, I would say like a childlike playfulness. Playfulness is the right word. That really, um, there's a really big playfulness element in me, and um, I'm very joyful when I can, when I can um, kind of channel. That playful energy, with with and around my kids. Um, so that was a real that was that was a real interesting um, that was a real interesting realization, and has kind of helped me when I'm feeling a little bit out of kilter, kind of get to that place. There's just a couple little fun things that little traditions or little cues that we can do to kind of get back into that playful mode in our family. And, um, just having, having awareness around that, um, has been, uh, has been re- really, really good. And then I think the other thing that comes up for me is just like, I spend a lot of time and a lot of money on, on coaches. And that's just my belief that, um, like we're, we're, we're perfectly imperfect and, um, for us to grow we need we need help we need to hire other people who can help us in a lot of different areas of our life and um, I'm grateful very very grateful to have all the mentors in my life Um, and also mentors from who are my kids who I learn from every day Um, so thank you for the opportunity to Share thanks for that last question. I'll be thinking about it now for the next forty hours. Yeah, of course. What was a better question that I could have brought up? What was the thing that? What was the thing that Adam really wants
0: to talk about? But no, man, I I I appreciate it, and I'm I'm bummed out I couldn't make it to Austin and see you in person a couple weeks ago. But I'm sure I will see you early next year in April at the next Front Row Dads event, if not sooner. And uh, yeah, man, I just want to say thanks for being so open, um, adding like two hours of insane value. And uh, I think we're going to move this way up in the schedule. We weren't planning to release a podcast on Thanksgiving, but I think this is the perfect Thanksgiving podcast to to give out to give out value and uh, and whatnot. So we'll, we'll figure it out in the next couple of days when this is going to be released, and I'll let you know because I, I really appreciate everything. Sweet. Cool man. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Have a good night. Later, Adam. I'll talk to you, buddy.